0: Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. Uh, go ahead and get your Bibles open to Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew chapter number 6. We, we started a series last week uh, looking at our emotions and how we can understand our emotions from a biblical perspective. Because again, everything we face, everything we deal with, everything we go through in life, the answer is found in the Word of God. And so we looked at, at depression from a biblical perspective. And again, uh, a lot of these, uh, some of these emotions we're looking at... Um, they, they may, a lot of them have a, well, I think every, every, you know, thing we struggle with has a spiritual component to it, but there, there may be something deeper uh, going on with uh, what we're looking at today, and with, like, depression, there could be uh, some chemical imbalance, there could be uh, physiological or environmental or all kinds of other aspects that if you struggle with uh, depression or anxiety or any type of mental illness, there is no shame in seeking professional help. God has given us doctors. God has given us therapists. God has given us counselors to help us work through these things. Now, I do think if you're going to seek uh, counseling or or therapy, that you should find a, a, a Christian counselor, someone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and who understands biblical principles so that they're not giving you unscriptural advice and unscriptural counsel. That's You need to find that. Uh, however, there's no shame in it. There's no shame in finding help. There's no shame in, in seeking out and getting medicine or getting help. You know, or getting, you know if you, if you uh, break a hip, you, you don't just pray it to be better. You get surgery. After surgery, you're going to take some medicine, not to get an infection, to deal with the pain. After you're, you're healed up, you know what you're going to go through? You're going to go through rehab. And we don't look down on people like that. You know, no one who, is, who broke a hip and, oh, you're in rehab for breaking a hip, and you're just not spiritual enough. You need to pray harder. We don't, we don't look down on them, but we look down on someone who's like, oh, you're struggling with some mental issues, you just need to pray harder. No, that's ridiculous. Now, some of it and what we're looking at, again, everything we look at, we're going to look at a, a, like last week we looked at spiritual depression, If it's primarily spiritual depression, there is a spiritual answer to it. If it's more than that, it's deeper than that. This morning, we're going to look at anxiety anxiety, a lot of anxiety, does have a spiritual component to it. And you may be struggling with spiritual anxiety, and so there is a spiritual answer to it. And I think that should be the first thing we go to. But if you've, you've, you've dealt with it, you've done everything that, that you know to do, scripturally speaking, and you're still struggling with it, and you need to go to a doctor, and you need to get help, and you need to get some medicine, and you need to get talk to someone, do it. Do it. There's no shame in it. You know, a lot of uh, when, when Jesus was on earth... He healed a lot of people. You know, he would, he would speak and people would get healed. He would speak and people would rise from the dead and he's not even in the same town. Now. Remember the, 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 the politician that came to him and said, My son's sick and if you can heal him, you don't even have to come to my house to speak and he'll do it. And Jesus did. So he didn't have to, you know, go through certain motions. But remember that one blind guy who he, he spit in the mud and made a little mud and put it on his eyes and then healed him? He could have just said, You're healed. You have sight. But I think he was showing us there's no shame in, in getting medicine. There's no shame in seeking outside help. Yeah, pray for it. Pray about it. But if you need extra help, get extra help. And don't feel bad about it. Don't feel shame about it. But we we said at the very beginning that emotions are like smoke from a fire. You know, if you're driving down the road and you see fire coming from your, uh, smoke coming from your neighborhood, you're going to want to figure out, especially if it's, you know, if it's dark, black, billowy smoke you're going to think, wonder where that's coming from? And you'll probably go and try to seek it out, mainly to find out if it's your house or not. But you see smoke, and the smoke isn't the problem. But the smoke will lead you to the source of the problem. Your emotions, depression, anxiety, jealousy, anger, shame, they're not the problem. But they can lead you to the source of the problem. And so we're going to be, this morning we're going to be talking about, as I've said, a, an emotion that we've all dealt with at, 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 to some degree. And that's anxiety. Now when we say anxiety, uh, we kind of get a, a bad connotation of it. But anxiety is just worry. Anybody ever worried about something? If you've never worried about anything... You're a psychopath, number one. Uh, and number two, you're a liar. <laughs> but we've all dealt with anxiety and worry to some degree. Now, I read a survey this week, a recent survey, that asked people, uh, and it wasn't a, a Barna survey, which is, you know, they usually in, uh, interview Christian people. It was a Times Times uh, Magazine uh, survey. So it asked just everybody, you know, anybody, any cultural background. and asked them what... Uh, made them anxious. And the things they named were things that we can all relate to. The number one thing that made people anxious was money. Money makes us worry. Then it was being alone. The future makes people anxious. Being accepted by others makes people anxious. Going to the doctor makes people anxious. Losing control of a situation Makes people anxious. Being separated from family makes people anxious. Finding the right spouse. Uh, Having a child, whether you're not able to conceive or while you're pregnant, worried about the health of that unborn child gives people anxiety. Losing a loved one. Failing at a relationship. All these things are, are things that make people anxious. And we can all look at that list and say, you know what, some of those things, they make me a little anxious as well. We worry about these things. And so anxiety, it gives birth to not just worry, but it gives birth to all different kinds of problems. It's like a fire that starts in your home in one little location, but if you don't take care of it, if you don't call the fire department or get a fire extinguisher or put it out, try to put it out yourself, if you just leave it alone, it's gonna quickly spread and it's gonna cause a lot of damage. Anxiety is the same way. If you don't deal with anxiety when it comes up, it can quickly spread and destroy every other area of your life. John Piper said, Piper said this Think about how many other sins are connected to the root of anxiety. Anxiety about money will cause you to hoard it or steal it. Anxiety about succeeding will make you irritable and impatient with those around you. Anxiety about, about relationships will make you withdrawn or indifferent toward other people. Anxiety about what others think about you will make you lie or stretch to truth. If anxiety could be conquered, a mortal blow would be struck to many other sins. There's a, there's a lot of things in this world that we can worry about and that we do worry about. Not just the list I name, but there's a lot of things that we struggle with and we worry with. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter number six, he gives us a list of things that, we, that cause us anxiety. He gives us list towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This, this teaching that he gives us about worry and about anxiety, it has profound meaning for us today. Anxiety is more than just feeling worried about something. It's more than just being concerned about something. Anxiety is an opportunity for you as a child of God to lean on Jesus, to trust God with what you're facing. Now, like all emotions, there's a lot going on. With anxiety, some of it is caused by outside forces that may need uh, to be addressed by a doctor. Sometimes it's emotional damage; it needs a a therapist. Uh, again, there's no shame in that. But again, we're going to look at the spiritual aspect of anxiety and how we can spiritually deal with this. Look at Matthew chapter six, verse number twenty-four. Jesus says, "No man can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one." ...and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is just a fancy word for money. He says you cannot serve God and serve money at the same time. It's interesting. When he starts this discussion about anxiety, when he starts this discussion about worry, he starts with money. Because that's the one that most of us struggle with. No matter what your financial situation is, money can always be an issue that you worry about. Am I going to have enough of it? Am I going to have enough to help send my kids to college, am I gonna have enough for retirement one day? Because with the the economy is, you can plan for retirement. You can have a good retirement plan now, but in, in ten years the economy tanks and your retirement gets wiped out. So I worry, am I gonna have enough when I when I need it? Am I is something gonna happen? What if I lose my job? What if a big health issue comes up that wipes out my savings? What if an, a tragedy happens? And so, no matter what your financial situation is, whether you're worrying day to day how you're gonna pay for food or pay your bills, or you're just worrying, I don't know if I'm going to have enough in the future. Money's a big worry that all of us deal with. It's a big source of anxiety, and Jesus starts with that. He says, why are you so worried about money? Look at verse 25 as we continue. Therefore, now again, when you see therefore, you're going to see what it's there for. He's talking about worry. Therefore, I say to you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on, is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment. Now, he's, again, he's not saying, hey, don't worry about how, you, about how your clothes look. Don't worry about if they match. You know, so, you know, if you got up this morning, like, I want to make sure that my shirt matches my pants, then you're worried about that. And Jesus said not to, you know, you're, like Connor uh, had, has never a day in his life worried if he's matched ever. He doesn't worry if his socks match. He doesn't worry if, and not even the same color. He doesn't worry, he doesn't care if he's wearing an ankle sock and a knee sock at the same time. That's not what it's talking about. It's not saying, hey, just go out there and look at however you want to look. That's not what it's talking about, but we are going to get to what he's talking about there. Look at verse number uh, 26, uh, 26. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they, neither, neither do they reap. Nor gather into barns that your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for the raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. And how they how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore? If God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall you eat, or what shall you drink, or wherewithal shall you be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things, but seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, And all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So this this passage, it gives us three teachings about anxiety, about worry. And they come directly from the mouth of Christ. And here's what the first one is. The first thing Jesus says about anxiety is, number one, anxiety thinks too little of God. Anxiety thinks too little of God. Look at verse 24 again. It says, No man can serve two masters, neither will he. He will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, Taking a thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor get for your body what you shall put on, is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment. So, this teaching here, uh, this is probably one of the most profound teachings about anxiety and about worry in this passage. A lot of us think that anxiety and worry is an emotion. It's an emotion that naturally arises because of the uncertainty of life. But Jesus says it is an emotion, but it's an emotion that is connected to our deepest desires. We worry about what we are most devoted to. Let me show you. A lot of y'all have, some of y'all have children, and they're in school, started for everybody now. And so they're beginning school. They're, they're, you know, some of them just started last week. Some of them started, uh, seems like two months ago. But they're in school now. And you are probably, well, not probably. You are more worried about their grades than I am. I don't care what grades your kids get. Now, do I want them to succeed in life? Yeah. Do I want them to do well? Of course. Am I going to lose sleep if they get an F in math? No. You know whose grades I do worry about? My kids. I do worry how they're doing. I do want to make sure they do good in school. I do want to make sure they're studying and they're learning and they're getting good grades and they're progressing through their education. Why? Because I'm more devoted to them than I am to your kids. Some of you are going to go to work tomorrow and you may serve a boss and you are worried that your boss is going to make think you do a good job. Maybe you've got a project coming up and you're like, man, I hope I do a good job. And my boss thinks I do a good job on this project. And you may, you're going to worry about that. You may lose sleep over that. You may tell me about that and I will pray for it. But I'm not losing sleep over what your boss thinks of you. Do I want you to be a good employee? Yeah. Do I want you to have a good job? Yeah. I, th- I want you to do the best you can because it's a, it's a great testimony of Christ. But if your boss hates you, I'm not losing sleep. I don't care. But you do because you are devoted to it. So we are worried about the things that we are most devoted to. That is why Jesus begins with the thing that all of us is most devoted to, and that's money. But look at verse 25 again. He says, "Therefore, I say to you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat, and the body more than raiment?" Again, he starts with "therefore," so we have to go back and see what it is there for. And he says, "Don't don't worry about food and shelter and clothes." Looking back at verse 24, talking about money. He knows what, that we are worried about what we are devoted to. So when we talk about anxiety, he starts with the one, most of us, that we all worry about, money. He says that if we are devoted to money, that's what we're going to worry about all the time. When we, if you are, if you think money is the most important aspect of your life and again we, we say that and some of you think well I'm not like that and and because you think when we think about that we think about you know people who are who are you know multi-billionaires or people who hurt people to get money or people who rob banks or people who do but you can still think money is the most important thing in your life and not realize it uh, but if you think money is the most important thing in your life you're gonna worry about getting it do you have enough Am I going to have enough later? i got to keep what I have? I've got to earn what I can earn right now. I've got to save what I can save right now. I have to have enough money. I've got to have money for my kids. i got to have money for myself. i got to have money for the nice things that I desire. And it, there's nothing wrong with having nice things. There's nothing wrong with having nice clothes, having a nice house, having a nice car. There's nothing wrong with any of it. There's nothing wrong with making good money. And there's nothing wrong with saving for the future. The Bible teaches us to save for the future. But if that's what is consuming us, that's what we're worried about all the time. He asks a serious question to challenge our devotion to money in verse 25 at the end. He goes, isn't life more than food and more than clothing and more than stuff? Your life is more than what you can own. Your your life is more than than your car. Your life is more than your house. Your life is more than your savings account. Because here's a tip. When you die and see Jesus face to face, you know what doesn't go with you? Any of your stuff. So if you are so worried about getting... The nicest stuff and the most, most incredible stuff and getting the biggest savings account. Here's, and look, again, I'm not saying don't save. Save for the future. But don't focus so much on saving for the future, you're, you're losing the joy of life that God has for you right now. He says money isn't what defines a good life. Then he, then he gives two examples. Verse 26, he says, look at the birds. Have you ever noticed, have you ever seen a bird Worry about saving for the future? No. Now look, some animals do save for the future. Some animals store up for the winter. Squirrels. I love feeding my squirrels. I give them cor- uh, feed corn. And here's, here's the thing I've noticed about squirrels they will sit there and they will, at the very beginning of the day, they'll sit there and they will, they will gouge them. I have this one, this one Bob. He is such a, a fat little booger. He will crawl inside the, the jar of corn. And just sit there and eat. And if any other squirrel comes by, he gets mad and runs them off. And they'll eat in the morning. But then they come back throughout the day and they they get there, they fill their mouths up, and then they go and they bury that stuff. They're saving it for the winter. And I know they're burying it because I have corn growing in my flower bed now. Because they, they bury them. And so that's how, that's how most of the oak trees in the world get planted. Squirrels take the acorn, bury it, forget where they bury it. Because they, they save, but they're stupid. So they bury the stuff, but they don't forget about it. Birds do not bury seeds for the winter. They don't, they don't expect that they're going to run out of food in the winter. They know, I'm going to wake up in the summertime, and I can go out and I can get food, and I can get berries, and I can get worms, and I can get seed. But if I wake up in the wintertime, God's still going to feed me. There's still going to be food for me. Birds do not worry about saving, but God still takes care of them. Winter doesn't come and God tells tell the birds, well, the squirrel's saved, so I'll take care of them, but you didn't, so good luck. No, it says birds don't save, but God takes care of them. God provides for them. They trust God every day. Then he says, look at the flowers. Look at verse 28. And why take you thought for your raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and they toil, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. He goes, you know, flowers don't worry about how pretty they look. They don't make sure they have the, the Prada shoes. And the, thats the only brand I know. Uh, skirt and dress—they don't—they don't make sure they got the, you know, the nicest suit, and they don't worry about that stuff. But God makes them beautiful. They don't lose sleep about finding the perfect dress, but God adorns them with beauty. Now, the point is—the point is not that we shouldn't save, and the point is not that if you buy nice clothes, then there's something wrong with you. It's not saying, hey, don't ever buy anything nice, don't ever save money for the future. The point is, those things should never be our primary source of security and joy. Now look, when you go buy something, when you go buy yourself a new outfit, Makes you feel good, right? I hope you buy clothes because they make you feel good. You know that you feel like you look good in them. They give you confidence. And you know, there's some clothes we buy that are just utilitarian. You know, like my work jeans. I don't care. You know how they hug my hip, hug my hip, hug my hips. I don't care how any of my pants hug my hips. Obviously, obviously. But I don't care what they look like. I don't care that they're a boot cut. I just care, hey, are, hey, are these going to you know, keep the thorns out when I'm working in the field? Uh, that's all I care. Some of it's utilitarian. But, you know, everything else is like, hey, does this shirt make me, and, you know, we're guys, and guys, y'all can lie all you want to, but I do ask April when I put on a shirt, hey, does this make me look slimmer, I look fat in this? She's, the answer is always yes. So, uh, But anyway but you buy a nice clothes, you buy a nice shirt, you buy some shoes because they they make you feel good and it gives you confidence. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not the only place we get joy. That's not all life is, is feeling good with a new outfit. It's good to save for the future. It's good to have security. But your source of security isn't your bank account and your 401k and your stuff. Your source of joy and your source of security as a child of God ...is God himself. And God says, don't worry about those things. I take care of the birds. I take care of the flowers. I'm going to take care of you. Our heavenly Father will take care of those things. Then he points to verse 33. But seek you first the kingdom of God... ...and his righteousness and all those things. All what things? The joy, the security that we seek. All the things we're seeking to find fulfillment. And not the stuff but the fulfillment and the joy and the the happiness and the security. He goes, I will give all that to you. Be devoted to God. Worry about pleasing Him. Worry about obeying His will in every area of your life, especially in the area of our finances. Focus on pleasing Him, and He'll take care of the rest. He will take care of our security, he would take care of our beauty and our joy, and they all fall into one of these categories when we are worrying about money. For some of us, money is security. You know, there's two types of people there's spenders and savers. The savers, money is their security. They get a bonus check from work. Or, you know, like a couple years ago, they got that stimulus check. They save it. You know, we we, we don't know what the future holds. We've got to put it in the bank, we've got to save it, we've got to make sure it's there and for a rainy day. And then there's, that, that's where they, they find their security in money. Now, it's not, they, they don't think it's a bad thing, they're just saving for the future, but it's where their security is. Others, money is their beauty, their joy. They get extra money, and they spend it. Hey, everybody gave me 1200 I? how much joy can I get for $1,200. New shoes, new, new, new iPad, new tablet, new whatever. And again, there's nothing wrong with either one of them. We get, they, get, they upgrade their car, they upgrade their wardrobe, their entertainment. You are either a saver or a spender. Usually these two types of people marry. A saver marries a spender. And both of them think the other one is wrong. If two spenders get married, they're going bankrupt. That's just that's it. They're going go, to go broke. They're going to have no money. So you need to find someone who's a saver. If you're a spender, find a saver. If you're a, sp- a saver, find a spender. But see, the saver thinks that the spender is irresponsible. And the spender thinks the saver is uptight. And they're both a little bit right about each other. Uh, but Jesus is telling us both, whether you're a saver or a spender... We all have the same root problem with money. It just goes in different directions. They're both devoted to money just for different things. One is devoted for security. One is devoted for joy and happiness. And so he addresses the saver with the bird illustration. Birds don't save, and they're fine. He addresses the, save, the spender with the flowers illustration. Flowers don't spend money on clothes and God takes care of them too. God makes them look pretty. And he's telling both of them, devote yourself to God instead. Let him be the source of your security. Let him be the source of your joy and your beauty. He takes care of birds. He takes care of flowers. He is going to take care of you. Our primary worry shouldn't be money and stuff. Our primary worry should be, Am I pleasing God with my life? Am I obeying God in every aspect of my life? Am I honoring God in everything I do? And he goes, if that's your worry, I'll take care of your security. I'll take care of your joy. I take care of everything else. Just seek him first. And look, this can be applied to to anything, not just money, but that's just a big one. Don't worry about your don't worry about your parenting. You know, as a parent, you worry, am I doing right by my kids? Am I teaching them right? Am I training? You know, this world's a mess. Am I helping them? He says, you know, don't worry about your kids. Birds, they push their kids out of the nest. But I make sure they fly. I'll take care of your kids too. You just obey me and follow me with your parenting, and I'll take care of it for you. Don't worry about your kids. I'll do anything. You know. Not saying not to worry about your parenting, just don't be anxious about it all the time. Be fully devoted to Him and seek to please Him, and He'll take care of the results, whether it's parenting or marriage or money or education or your career or anything else that we worry about. The point is don't just sit back and do nothing, but live in obedience to God in all of them. Follow Him, trust Him with the results. Because here's the thing, the results aren't really up to you. You're not in control. And that's, that's where the savers struggle. I'm going to save so I can be in control. So I can have enough, but again you have no, con- the, the economy could tank, something could happen, you could lose everything in a, in a blink of an eye. So God's saying, you're not in control anyway. So just trust me and I'll take care of it. So anxiety thinks too little about God. says, God can't take care of me, so I have to do it instead. God's not going to provide for me, so I have to do it instead. He is the most essential element in a successful, joyful life. A good life is more than making money. It's more than good career choices. It's more than being a successful parent. Life doesn't consist of stuff. A good life, a successful life, a meaningful life, walks with God and seeks to please Him. Second thing we notice is anxiety minimizes how much God thinks of me. Look at verse 26. Behold, the fowls of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather in a barn, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. How much more are you than they? Verse 30, wherefore, if God clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast in the oven, how, how, shall he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. After saying, look at the birds, God takes care of them. Look at the flowers, God takes care of them. Jesus says, and you are so much better than them. You mean so much more to God than the birds do. You mean so much more to God than the flowers do. We are more important than those things. So if God takes care of the birds, that yes, he loves them because they're part of his creation. He cares about them because they're part of his creation. But he sent his son to die on a cross for you because he wanted to spend eternity. He didn't want to spend eternity with the robins and the, the crows. And all the he goes, I don't want to spend eternity with the birds. I want to spend eternity with you, but I take care of them. And if I take care of them and you mean so much more to me, how much more will I take care of you? If God takes care of the least of the creation, how much more will he care for us? This is pointing to the character of God, the father. It is obvious from creation that we serve a loving God. Luke chapter 12, verse 32 says, Don't be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus says, look, God sent me here to absorb the wrath for your sins, to die in your place, to die instead of you, to suffer and be punished and take the wrath of God for your sins and die and be buried and rise again to redeem you to God the Father. God sent me for that. Why would he neglect your daily needs? Why would he send me to die in your place but not care if you eat tomorrow? He'll take care of your needs. Isaiah 49. Can a woman forget her suckling child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. He says, can can a mother forget about her child? And he says even, yeah, they can't, because we've, we've all heard examples or read stories about, about women who, you know, forget about their or don't want their kids and, you know, even after, you know, or murder them. We, and he goes, that happens, but it's rare. And when it, it's, it's so shocking to us because we think, how can a mother do that to her child? How can a mother ignore or abandon her kids? It just, it doesn't make sense to us. And God says, if that shocks you, wh- wh- what makes you think I would... Give any? He goes. I'm not just some suckling mother. I have carved your names in my hands. You are precious to me. Romans eight. Who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all of us? That he shall. That uh, how shall he not also freely give us all things? He says. What more does God have to do to prove his commitment to you? I put on flesh. I lived a perfect life. I died in your place. I absorbed the wrath of God. I went to hell for you. I rose again for you. What do I got to do to prove that I love you? If you can trust me with your eternal soul, why can't you trust me with your finances today? Why can't you trust me with the things of today? We can trust him with anything. So anxiety for the child of God, is completely irrational. It means that you believe that God can take you to heaven when you die, but he can't take care of your needs today, which makes no sense at all. You either believe the God of the Bible, or you don't. That's why he compares us to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, in this context, they're the unsaved World, They don't know God as their Savior, so they worry about those things. Because they don't have God, who has shown his love for them, who has shown his compassion for them. He has, but they haven't accepted it, so they worry about those things. When they're anxious, so when you are anxious, you are acting like an atheist. You have a Heavenly Father that loves you and cares for you deeply. He cares about you more than you care about your kids. And you would never neglect your kids. So what makes you think God would neglect you? Four times in this passage, we are told not to worry. Fear is the most repeated command in the Bible. There are are 300... And 66 commands in the Bible, 366 different times, God commands us, do not fear, do not be afraid, do not be anxious. Do you think it's a coincidence that he gave us one command to not worry and to not fear for every day of the year plus leap years? He said, I'm going to take care of every day, even the leap years, even the February 29th. I've got them. Don't be afraid, because I'm there for you. It is impossible to truly believe the God of the Bible and be anxious with spiritual reasons. The only way those commands make sense is if God has promised us He's going to take care of everything. So anxiety thinks too little of God and thinks, makes God think, makes us think God thinks too little of us. Third thing, final thing, anxiety... Lies to you. Look at verse 27. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? Look at verse 34. Take take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So Jesus says anxiety offers you false solutions. It makes you false promises. It gives false predictions. Worrying about things does make you feel a little better. It doesn't do anything, but if you're worrying about something, you feel like you're giving some energy to it. You're trying to figure out the situation. You're trying to solve the problem. So it makes you feel like you're doing something about it. But Jesus says there's two problems about that. Number one, Worrying about something has never changed anything. Verse 27, he says, can you add one cubit to your life? Now, the cubit is is talking about a length of measure, but when you look at the the Greek context, he's saying, can you add any joy to your life by worrying about your life? No, because worry doesn't add joy. It steals joy from us. But we think we're doing something about it. We think we're solving a problem. So we think we're adding to our life, but we're stealing from it. Worry steals from you. You know, doctors say that 75% of all hospital and doctor visits are stress and anxiety related. Dr. Charles Mayo, he helped found the Mayo Clinic. He says worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, and the whole nervous system. Though I have never known a man who died of overwork, I have known a whole lot who died of worry. Anxiety promises you, if you devote time, if you devote energy to the situation, then you can change things. Worry doesn't change a thing. No one has ever changed a situation by losing sleep over it. The second thing Jesus says is G- anxiety lies to you Because most of the things that we worry about never end up happening. Most of the things that we struggle with in life never occur. How many of us have have worried about something and lost sleep over it? And lost joy over it? And maybe me and April have had this time where where her anxiety, she's lost sleep over it. I've lost sleep over it because she won't let me sleep. And we're we're fighting over it because she's worried about this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And it never happens. We worry about stuff that 99.999% are never going to come to fruition. But hey, you worried about it. You wasted time on it. You lost sleep over it. You devoted energy to it. And nothing happened to it. Anxiety lies to you. Tells you things are going to happen that never happen. Tells you if you worry about stuff... Maybe you'll change something. No, you won't. Anxiety is a false prophet that steals from us. Jesus says, don't take, don't take no thought for tomorrow. He goes, why are you worried about tomorrow? There's a, the problems that, are, that you think are going to happen tomorrow, they're tomorrow's problems. Why waste time over tomorrow when you've got things you've got to deal with today? Don't lose sleep over things. Don't, don't worry about stuff because most of the stuff we worry about never happens. And just, just by worrying about it, we don't change a thing. Anxiety lies to us. See, anxiety is a, a huge problem that most of us at one point or another in our life are going to struggle with spiritually. We're going to worry about things. We're going to lose sleep over things. We're going to lose relationships over things. We're going to to steal from the joy and the pleasure that God has promised us through anxiety. When you're worried, just remember, when you're anxious about these things, you're saying, God, you're not big enough to take care of it, so I have to. You're saying, God, you don't love me enough to take care of it. So I have to. And anxiety is lying to you to steal your joy. Don't let anxiety and worry take from you the life God wants to give you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for the opportunity, the privilege we have to study your word. God, if we're honest, anxiety is something we all struggle with from time to time. Some of us more than others. But God, every time we lose sleep, every time we lose joy, every time we hurt a relationship because of anxiety, we are letting the enemy win. Help us, God, to understand you are big enough to take care of every need we have, every problem we face, and you love us enough to get involved. Help us not to believe the lies of the enemy but believe the truth of the gospel. With every every Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.